Hey everybody, welcome back to the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. It's your host, Mike, and today it's a Walk With Mike podcast. If you're new to this podcast, Walk With Mike podcast is just a informal podcast and up in the studio, just me running my mouth about preparedness, giving you the latest and greatest as it pertains to current events. Um, and I think it's necessary, obviously, with everything going on with the coronavirus. So we'll get straight into it, guys. I, you know, when we started first talking about the coronavirus or COVID-19, we did so probably about two months ago, uh, right when Wuhan, China was blowing up. There are a lot of skeptics out there. It's amazing that there are still skeptics out there who are um, telling people, including my company, that we're fear mongering. Um, look, I think people inherently uh, make decisions, change their behavior based on what's going on through their TV or through their phone. I mean, there's not a lot of ways to confirm or deny what's really happening in our world unless you literally are there. Not a lot of Americans are going to go to Wuhan, China to discover if this is real or not. But as, as, as things started developing and, you know, we started talking about the facts as it relates to science, as it relates to the CDC, uh, etc., cetera, uh, people started realizing that this potentially could be a real thing. And really, our perception of real isn't real until it's on our front door nowadays, right? I mean, we have a lot of people in our society who think everything is a conspiracy theory, who thinks the, gov- the government's out to get them. The list goes on. Speaking from experience for 20 years of experience working with the U.S. government, uh, the government's not that talented. Uh, like a CDC scientist said recently about the COVID virus, look, <laughs> Mother Nature is much more creative and advanced than any human beings trying to put stuff together in a Petri dish in a lab. So this thing, which was kind of unreal, I mean, it was tied into a lot of propaganda, obviously, with um, videos of you know, World War Z and meshed together with media and news reports, it didn't feel real coming out of Wuhan. But then it started to spread. And I think really most people started paying attention when it started spreading to Italy and affecting that country so vastly. Uh, If you haven't been caught up on the news, um, let me explain to you what's going on in Italy, for example. Italy, a couple days ago, was was where we are we were at a couple of days ago, two weeks ago. So they advanced really fast with the spread of this disease. In fact, so rapidly that it's now infected a total of thirty one thousand people. Outside of China, it's the highest infection rate or infectious rate uh, in the world. Uh, third is Iran with 16,000 people. The total number of deaths in Italy is 2,500 deaths. It's actually, as of this morning, 2,503. So it's something that is scaling and is pretty predictable in taking the models of China and Italy and what we're seeing as far as what it's doing to the populace when it's not contained or controlled. And I know containment and control is very vague, right? There's a whole bunch of things that come along with containment and control. But I think the things that we're doing aggressively right now, like banning outside travel from the United Kingdom, um, from Ireland, from European countries and abroad, even as of this morning, limiting crossing the border in Canada or people coming into the country from Canada is an intelligent thing to do at this point because what we don't want to happen is end up like Italy. And, you know, for the first time, I'm realizing even in my own network that a lot of people are getting a false sense of security in their own comfort, which leads to complacency. Meaning I have friends that I know that are, that I thought were switched on in preparedness, but they treat this like it's a joke. They make fun of people who are trying to be prepared. Um, 
you know, it, it, some of it's funny, right? The toilet paper thing, the paper towel thing, it's, it's comical. But a lot of this is so new, meaning it's a novel new virus. As of two, November of 2019, it didn't exist on the planet Earth. And here we are. It didn't exist on the planet Earth and human beings. And here we are um, months later, only months later. And we're looking at a total of over 8,000 people killed and has spread and surpassed 200,000 people infected. Now, a lot of people who are, you know, naysayers and maybe even optimistic will say, hey, when compared to everything else in the world, it's not a big deal. That's true. But everything else is tangible, meaning you go outside of your home and you get in your car. There's not an expectation that you're going to die in a motor, uh, a motor accident that day. But across our nation, 30,000 uh, plus people die in motor vehicle accidents in our country. Uh, Ten plus um, teenagers die from texting and driving in our country every single day. But the difference is those things are apparent in their uh, tangible um, nature. Meaning you get in your car and you accept the risk. That's what you put your, that's why you put your seatbelt on. When you go out into the world, uh, you don't have an expectation that somebody's going to run into you, but it could happen. Well, the difference with the coronavirus is it's invisible. It's something that you can't see, you can't understand. And even in people being asymptomatic, meaning having no apparent signs or symptoms of the virus, can literally be received in a normal conversation, in a normal, uh, in your normal behavior of engaging with human beings out and about, and then you could potentially die from that. And I, I always want to remind people that the flu as it sits in influenza used to have a super high mortality rate um, because of our inability to treat it. In vaccines, for example. Now, vaccines, I believe the, the last number I looked at, statistic I looked at, is they're about 48% to 50% effective in people, meaning you can get a vaccine at your local Walmart, a flu vaccine, and get infected with the flu or the influenza that particular uh, season, even with a vaccine. So it's not foolproof, but it has reduced the overall numbers of people infected. Um, and people who have died last year from October to really February of this year was a really aggressive flu season. I mean, I, I don't really know anybody that I know in my small network that didn't get the flu. Everybody at Philcraft Survival had it. Uh, I had type A, H1N1, and I was super sick. I got over it really fast, but I was super sick. And it's the first time that I remember in a very long time of testing positive with the flu. And I think, in fact, it's probably the first time. Uh, and I don't know if you equate that to, I used to get flu shots or vaccines. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it was super aggressive. Now, the question is, how many people do you know that have died from the corona or, or from the uh, standard flu, the seasonal flu? I don't know anybody, but I also don't have a lot of friends that are over 80. Well, herein lies, I think, the issue. The issue is just because it doesn't affect you doesn't mean it potentially isn't serious. I imagine that the people in Prescott, Arizona, Prescott Valley and Chino Valley, the Tri-City area that are over 60 years old that might have an underlying medical condition are fearful, have actual anxiety. I, I'm not even anxious for myself, but I'm anxious for those people. Because I want to be empathetic to the human beings that are in our society who are an old, of an older demographic. We can't forget about grandma and grandpa and the older senior citizens in our society. Doing so would be neglectful. So as a reminder, this is not the flu. It runs parallel with the flu. And so you have to think about Italy in the context of this conversation. Where were they a month ago? Well, a month ago, they weren't doing anything. They weren't restricting 
any kind of implement or they weren't implementing any kind of social distancing. They weren't restricting any kind of activities. And 31,000 people in a very short period of time got infected and 2,500 people died. Now, the overwhelming majority of people who die, and this is an analysis of the 100 people who have died in the United States, are over 70 years old. In fact, the the rampant acceleration of mortality rates in Washington state, for example, hit the retirement homes, the hospices, assisted livings uh, very hard. And the majority of those were in their 80s and 90s. So does that mean we don't pay attention to the effect on our society? Because if we don't pay attention to the effect on our society, we overwhelmingly, just statistically, will be killing a lot of members of our society um, almost unwittingly without them really knowing it. Right now, the reason the World Health Organization listed this as a pandemic is because the community-wide spread block that was checked. What that means is community-wide spread means we don't know the potential source and can't track the source. So now it's out of control. So how do we control it? Well, the president, as you know, has implemented a lot of different tactics in addressing this coronavirus. He started out a week ago limiting travel uh, from European nations. Um, in, in fact, the, the UK and Ireland were just added to that list. Today, they just uh, stopped um, traffic coming across the Canadian border. And they're doing a lot of things economically to assist the economy as small businesses and corporations are trying to manage this. Yesterday on my social media on Mike.a.glover on my Instagram, I posted a picture of the coronavirus with the big words SITREP. SITREP is a term used in the military to describe the situation report. The situation report is specific to information and the analysis of information so we can make better decisions. I put, hey, I want you guys to sound off with your location and current status of your community and life and how it's being affected by COVID-19. I put personally that Prescott, Arizona, local food chains have banned dine-in, schools are closed, small businesses and life continue to move along, but the streets are less congested. We have recently hired some small businesses because we're doing a new office to do podcasts, and we've tried to reinvigorate our society internally uh, and doing the best we can. You know, I own a preparedness company. I was doing preparedness the day before. COVID-19, and I was doing preparedness the day after. Nothing's really changed. So inside of my own community, uh, which is rural, I live in a very rural community with only a couple hundred thousand people displaced in a rural environment. We're not really living on top of each other, and we have seen the effects. If you look through the posts, there's hundreds of comments, but people in Orange County, California, they restricted any group gatherings residential or in public. Everything is shut down other than necessities like grocers, emergency services, etc. And they heavily suggest to self-quarantine, meaning to stay out of public areas. Um, this particular guy said, most stores in my area have empty shelves by noon. Ammo impossible to purchase. He's got 50 rounds of 9 mil. That's another podcast, uh, which we've done before. Uh, situation in Vancouver, Washington, just to give you some perspective, bars, gyms, and restaurants are all closed. Ontario, Canada, Premier, the, our Premier declared the state of emergency in our province. They announced the confirmed first COVID-19 related deaths. Schools are closed. They have 180 active cases in our province. Canada has also shut the border to visitors and is only allowing Canadian citizens and permanent residents entry into Canada. On the other side of the U.S., on the East Coast, my buddy Ray Cashcare says, Virginia Beach, Virginia, most restaurants are carry-out only, but some can dine in. Public and private schools closed for two weeks. All sports leagues and programs as well. Most gyms are closing tomorrow until the 31st. Grocery stores have low to no stock 
and water, toilet paper are extremely low in some areas. Frozen food vegetables and box pasteurized foods are still readily available. Um, give you some mid-country perspective from Salt Lake City from my buddy Trevor Thompson. 42 cases, recommended staying away from non-familial um, uh, and non-essential places. All bars and restaurants closing um, March 18th for two weeks. Going to Florida, uh, South Florida, same shopping issues as wet. Uh, where else? But most Patriot preppers are already prepared, prepared for the hurricanes. All schools from Miami to Jupiter are closed. Broward County kids are out until April 15th. It seems like either people are in panic or they're not. So let's talk a little bit about um, the panic. Now, my perspective on panic is probably different than many people's perspective on panic. Panic to, panicking to me is what people do in times of crisis. Um, I usually think about riots, violence, people breaking into stuff, uh, people fighting each other in lines. I've seen more panic, if that's the definition as I defined it, um, more panic on Black Friday than I have from what I've seen now. Like many people are equating panic to people buying toilet paper and paper towels. Do I think it's stupid to hoard toilet paper and paper towels? Yes, especially in the time of crisis that we're in now, where it's important for us to look at equity, where it's important for us to look at people getting their fair portions so nobody goes without. Um, that's why we, we push for preparedness. I never had to stand in line to get toilet paper. But a lot of the lines that I see, for example, here in Prescott, Arizona, are older people. Imagine you're a 60-year-old single grandmother. Your husband passed away from cancer. You're standing in line at Costco trying to get toilet paper because you have none. And 20-something-year-olds, 30-something-year-olds are buying 100 rolls of toilet paper. Remember, our country vastly, uh, the middle class, is the majority of our country. When I grew up, I grew up poor. I grew up in a trailer park in an apartment complex in Volusia County in Daytona Beach, Florida. My dad was a single father for the most of my childhood life, and he is a corrections officer. He wasn't making a lot of money. And I remember us struggling for food and struggling for the staples. I mean, ramen noodles and hot dogs was a staple of my diet as a child. Um, that's probably why, I, why uh, I love it so much. So our perspective right now, like my perspective, for example, is skewed and biased when compared to other people's perspective of what they prioritize. I have. I'm a prepper. I am a self-proclaimed prepper. I have everything I need and more because my family, my social network, my friends will be prepared. I have all the food. I have uh, 90 days of food. I have 90 days of water. I have 90 days of personal hy hygiene effects. And I had this, the majority of this, before COVID-19 became a thing. But also, I am upper middle class. I mean, I'm, I'm, I make a decent salary. And so I don't have to worry. I don't live check to check. Now, you take somebody who is in the middle class who just got laid off. I had a guy DM me uh, last night who said he just got laid off because the business that he works for can't keep its doors open. They're in the food service industry, and they can't continue to pay their employees um, while everybody's shut down because they're not making a profit. So now you're looking at a situation where you might be behind the power curve. You just got laid off, you lost your job, and now you don't have toilet paper, and you realize everybody's buying up all the toilet paper. So you stand in line for toilet paper. I don't think that's beyond the realm of what's happening. I mean, a lot of people are reading the news and they're getting information. Yeah, do I see some news organizations like CNN pushing the agenda? And it seems like I'm getting the perception that it seems like they're making it political to maybe hurt the presidency or hurt the country as per CNN's SOP, standard operating procedure. I, I, I see that. Um, but I also see the facts. 
look, I, I am not trying to sway this any way. In fact, I had a local tactical business that used to be in our network accuse our company of fear-mongering, which I take offense to. One, we've cut that company, company completely out of our lives. I will never do business with them. I'll never interact with them. Um, I took it as an insult, uh, not only from a, a, a fellow local business, but also a veteran. It's disgusting to me that any veteran would attack another veteran's business, uh, especially in the context of the, the business doing their job. But, you know, they come out and they say that we're fear-mongering. Well, I haven't fear-mongered since day one. For me, it's important to lay out the facts and then lay out what you should be doing. I came out on a YouTube video, which is on my personal channel, stating that you should have 60 to 90 days of food, water, hygiene, and everything else to be prepared. Because if you did it now, right now, which is the time that I did the video, which is three to four weeks ago, then you would be prepared. But now if you do it, because you're too late, then you're just behind the power curve and you're paranoid. I also often think about those people that say all that and what's their situation. This person who attacked us on social media and told, said that we were fear-mongering happens to be wealthy and happens to have a lot of money and resources. But again, I'm not catering to my demographic. I'm catering to people who are less fortunate's demographic. Hey, if you're poor and you don't have a lot of money, you might want to partition some of that money and go to Costco, Walmart, stockpile on what you can afford so you don't have to fight for resources when it comes down to it. Uh, a lot of other companies are fear-mongering. Uh, SoftRep is a good example of that. Look, SoftRep is probably the only company that I'll call out that's better known because I have a disdain and disgust for companies that, uh, like SoftRep who came out and took advantage of a circumstance where uh, Green Berets were killed in Africa, specifically Niger, Africa, and they posted the video online, which to me was ISIS and Al-Shabaab and terrorist propaganda. And they perpetuated that. You know, they made it, they tied it back to um, talking about it is beneficial, but showing a video where American Green Berets were fighting for their lives and were killed in action is not to me, uh, you know, pushing a beneficial agenda for anybody. And it was disgusting. We openly criticized software for doing that. Yesterday, I'm on Facebook and I'm scrolling through and I'm like, man, uh, this is a soft rep sponsored ad for water purification systems where it said, if you go out and you try to get food, you need to make sure you, and, uh, you have to have water. But if you don't have water, you could purify it, especially related to all the panic and everything that's going on. Here, try this new uh, water purification thing. And it was a knockoff um, uh, life straw. It's like, come on, guys. Really? One, you're soft rep. You do media. Um, and you're doing an advertisement. I saw through that, through that and so did everybody who commented to it that was like, this is disgusting. But to me, that's disgusting. You won't see my company putting together a mask kit with hand sanitizer and selling it to flip a profit. We have the same things we had in store. We talk about the same means of preparedness. As a quick recap, what is that? You as an individual, your mobility platform, which is an extension of your capability, and your home. Those three things you could focus on right now um, when looking at your individual preparedness to square yourself away. We have podcasts. We have YouTube videos on all three of those things. And I want you guys to access that content because we outline it um, really easy, really basic, where you should be prepared. And this has nothing to do with COVID-19. You should be prepared anyways because when you look at preparedness as it relates to natural man-made disasters, being prepared as an SOP or foundation will cover the basis for all the things that I'm talking about. So for me, for example, I talk about preparedness as it relates to person, mobility, and then your home. Well, if you followed that course of instruction or that course of action, then you would have been prepared for COVID-19 for the exception of Maybe hand sanitizer that you might have want to plus up on because 
if you're exposing yourself to people, you might want to take uh, the time and opportunity uh, to use hand sanitizer instead of trying to find soap and water somewhere. How does it affect us as a company? It's not. We already have, uh, we already use social distancing when we're on the flat range, meaning we use distance between people on a flat range to train. I don't personally think that training should be stopped. Now, what I won't do is I won't do survival seminars all over the United States. Uh, and we actually looked at uh, today, this morning, at doing webinar, uh, free webinars, because a free webinar for somebody, um, especially in their home, will be super beneficial. And people now who are quarantined or self-quarantined to their home. And we want to provide the education. So I will be doing a free seminar that way. But I won't be congregating people in mass. Uh, AT Overland's last expo, that was the last time that we'll do that until things become a little uh, more apparent that they're uh, recessing. Uh, and I'll take the recommendations from CDC. Some updates on what's going on right now in the nation. Um, here's the latest. So San Francisco, if you haven't heard, has adopted a shelter in place for the ex exemptions of health, work, food, uh, and even exercise to an, uh, to an extent. City officials ordered residents to remain in place at their homes except for essential activities. But again, what, is, you know, what does essential activity mean? It's very vague in how it defines it, but let me give you a list of some of the things uh, they lined out. Task essential to maintain health and safety, such as obtaining medicine or seeing a doctor. Getting necessary services like supplies, uh, family, household members, pet, food, etc. So going to do your normal business, which most people do anyway, um, would not be deemed um, uh, unnecessary. And you could do those things. So if stopped and you said, hey, I'm going to PetSmart to get some dog food, you'd be okay. Engaging in outdoor activities such as walking, hiking, or running, um, provided that they maintain at least six feet of social distancing, which is the recommendation from the CDC. Uh, the, the CDC recommendation is no more than 50 people. Most cities, uh, most towns are recommending no more than 10 people. Caring for a family member in another household and then caring for the elderly, minors, dependents, and so on and so forth. Um, the shelter-in-place order also does not apply to those working in essential businesses or essential government functions like healthcare, like grocery stores, farmers, foods, bank, or food banks, convenience stores. Um, for example, today, um, we can't have a, a blood bank, but there is a blood location where they, they schedule the appointments 15 minutes apart so we're not stacked on top of each other, which is one of the things that we are doing to help the people in our society. Um, Blood banks, for example, because they can't have uh, these mass uh, blood bank opportunities for people to come in, stand in line, and uh, accumulate blood, uh, the American Red Cross is asking for your donation. I signed up, George signed up, and we're going to go donate blood today because people need help. Also, you have to look at the circumstance in your own community, and if you are squared away, if you are prepared, if you are one of those people who are not going to be grossly affected because of your age or your health, then look to help others in your community. My mom is stubborn. My mom is not listening very well. And I love my mom, but she owns a spa in North Carolina and her business is being affected, but she's stubborn. I want to make sure that I harp on her uh, and my stepfather to make sure they are not being overly exposed because they are in a high-risk bracket. They're both healthy, but who knows? If they get exposed, they could uh, literally be fighting for their lives. When you look at the people who are grossly affected by this, um, one of the reasons that we're taking such precautions as a nation, and, and it is a big deal, is because we could very easily overwhelm our healthcare systems. Let me just say I'm super disappointed at some of my friends who are playing this down. Especially friends of mine that I know are, who are who understand health, who understand emergency management and medicine. Uh, I, I'm super disappointed because this and not looking at the second, third order effects and 
one week, two week, one month, three months down the line can be detrimental and really affecting your local community. For example, if you're an influencer and you're saying, this isn't a big deal, get out there, live your life, do you, YOLO, and then people are heeding your advice and then they get somebody infected who dies, that is a problem. So the reason this becomes a problematic systemic issue down the road is if we start to get to a point where we don't have enough enough respirators, enough healthcare providers to tend to those people who are sick, then we have to do what Italy is doing now, which is triaging people, meaning separating them and determining by priority who's going to live and who's going to die. I don't want to be in that circumstance. I don't want to be the healthcare provider who walks in and you have five 80-year-old people and you have one respirator or one ventilator and you have to determine who's going to live and who's going to die. I don't think anybody does. Our healthcare system, as it sets, as it as it stands, is not designed to deal with pandemics. Uh, every every expert will tell you that. In fact, the healthcare system doesn't even stockpile a majority of the things that we need. The pharmacies don't stockpile the from the pharmaceutical manufacturer in China for the things that this country needs. We're already looking at pharmacies that are declaring emergencies because they can't manufacture specific meds um, because we do so out, outsourced overseas. But we are looking at it now and thinking like preparedness uh, or preppers in this case um, and how we think. We should stockpile masks. We should stockpile medicine. We should stockpile uh, mission essential equipment uh, like ventilators, but we don't. And for the first time, we're looking at this and realizing maybe we should. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to answer some questions uh, off social media that I got. Um, I just put out a feed. Um, the feed is um, on my story where I asked a question and said, hey, we're doing this. If anybody wants to ask a question, please ask now. Um, here we go. 2,500 people have seen this. Let's go through some stuff. Uh, somebody says, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing really well. Uh, what is a great, well-rounded, EMP-proof, durable vehicle as a go-rig bug-out bug out vehicle? Um, that doesn't pertain to the COVID vi virus, but I'm going to answer these things because they deal in the realm of preparedness. Any vehicle that doesn't have a PCU, ECU that controls, that has a circuit board, essentially, is going to be a good EMP-proof vehicle. My 1973 Chevy 350 swap Land Cruiser is a great example of that. That vehicle is EMP-proof. Um, and if all else fails in an EMP attack, I'll have that as a vehicle to be able to drive around and to do business. Um, going to probably lose my job here in a week or so, and the food and ammo shortages are insane. Um, that's that that cut that got cut short. Um, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. The economic woes that we are running into right now are going to be compounded every single day that goes by. More people, more businesses will lose their jobs, um, and we have to stick together to help each other. Any like I'm looking at these small businesses and saying, hey, what can I do to help you guys? To make sure that you, your employees don't lose business. Because my business is better off than, than businesses, uh, for example, like restaurants in my own community. So what we can do is we could bond together and pull our resources. Look, I grew up poor. And now my, my first house in the Army as a young staff sergeant was bigger than any house I lived in as a 20-something-year-old as a staff sergeant. And when I look at where I am now, I am economically at, a, at an advantage, at an advantage. I want to help people who are in uh, bad circumstances in my own community. And we should all take heed of that advice. We should all help people in our own communities. Uh, somebody said, do you plan to try doing a class up here in New England? Here's what I will do, because 
we have law enforcement training that is already getting shut down. Uh, we already lost Santa Clara, uh, potentially New Jersey SWAT. There's a whole bunch of institutional style training uh, or institutional embedded training that we are going to do that we more than likely aren't going to be able to do. What will we do in the future? Well, we are going to retain our open enrollment courses because I think it's super important at this time uh, where we need to be prepared and looking at each other to help each other. One, to lift the morale of each other and train. Two, to continue to train on things that are going to help us be better prepared, like defending our lives, um, but doing so smartly. One, we will issue guidance on that course. We want people to, to uh, stay away from each other in social distancing, which we naturally do want a flat range anyway. We will limit courses in the future beyond the dates that we have set uh, as far as the number of people on that particular range. And we are do our due diligence on that range to ensure that we set parameters to minimize potential exposure to each other. No bro hugs, no handshakes on our ranges. Uh, most people wear gloves, especially in the wintertime, on our flat ranges. Um, most people are distance uh, beyond three meters, uh, which is six foot on our range uh, anyways, because of the distance between each other shooting a, a, a firearm. Um, but I think it's important to continue to train, and we will try to do that smartly. Now, if the government recommends or if the government says that we shouldn't hold any training or we can't hold any training, or gatherings together of more than a certain amount of people, then we won't do that. Um, but even like I have a one-on-one a -on -one training course lined out with uh, uh, a father and son. We will continue to do that, but we will be smart about it. Now, what can change that, that, demo, or that, uh, that paradigm is we potentially might not be able to travel because domestic flights might get kinked. If this thing, if this thing continues to grow at the rate at which it's growing, then we might have to cancel training. But if we could drive, we will drive. We'll self quarantine our asses inside of our vehicles and we'll get there. How long do you think food and medicine supply chains will hold out? Well, it depends. It depends on the food and it depends on the medicine. Look, we, we are not in, let me, let me make this very clear. We are not in danger of the infrastructure in which we exist collapsing nor the supply chains from stopping. Like, there will always be a supply chain infiltrating supplies because uh, there will always be either healthy people or people as individuals to be able to manage that work. Now, on a larger scale, like Amazon, for example, they won't be even shipping anything beyond essential uh, equipment or items that are going to benefit uh, health-related situations. So already organizations are doing that, but the supply chain with the food and everything else, we are going to be okay. We are going to be fine. Medicine is a different circumstance, but what you're seeing right now is a decline and a slowing down in China based off of the parameters that they've set in their country with self-quarantining or deliberate quarantining, not self-containing, and then uh, mitigating the exposure. I think all those things are very smart. Going to have a YouTube video on the recovery, I'd love to share it. Yes, absolutely. The, if you haven't heard on my social media or anything that's going on uh, recently, we recovered a buddy's gladiator, a brand new gladiator Jeep that was pulled out of a river. We went and recovered it. Me, um, Savage Lester, I, his Instagram handle is Savage Lester, but it's Austin. We call him Flaccid Lester at work. Um, Austin, our media guy, Mike Hernandez, and Lee. Uh, from Tier Tactical, we went out and recovered that vehicle and we documented it the best way that we could as safely as we could. Now, there are certain things that we couldn't get because of us being involved with the recovery, but we try to take it as a learning opportunity to show you what to do and not to do. Um, and we will have that up. The hot topic of COVID is how bad does it get? What do you expect is the big issues? And that's a very good question. How bad does it get? This is my personal opinion, just based off of what I'm seeing. I think it's going to continue to get bad. 
But I do think it will flatline at some point as long as the American people are following the protocols set in place. It's already has wide community spread. The, the limiting factor right now and us not understanding how much it spread is the test that have been issued. But within the next week, as these tests get distributed, disseminated, we will start taking information and start realizing how much of a problem it really is in our communities. It's already really spread. So as long as we're containing ourselves, we will continue to lower the curve. Now, the curve is still going to scale up, but we will start to flatten that curve and to reduce the spikes in that curve as long as we're following protocol. Now, the overwhelming issue here is most people have set expiration dates for this based on 14-day quarantine times. Like they've said, hey, April 6th will allow people to start doing business as normal. Well, I could tell you from experience um, in analyzing this information that in two weeks, it will only get worse. It will not get better. So what does that mean for you when your school says they will start school back April 6th? Like Embry-Riddle, for example, has done that. Well, they're just going to have to continue to cancel schools. And then we're just going to continue to have to put ourselves on a hold. But what does that do to our economy? That destroys our economy. You're going to see e-commerce surging. You're going to see social media surging because people are at home digesting information, digesting content, spending money online. But what you're not going to see is that take place in small businesses and corporations in our society, the tangible society that we live in. So it will put a lot of small businesses out of business. Depending on how long that lasts will determine the economic damage it will potentially do over the long haul. Imagine you're a restaurant in town. Well, if you have a few employees, you shut the doors. What do those employees do for work? If there is no subsidizing for those employees, then they go hungry. They go, they get desperate. They can't get jobs. And that net has a net effect on everybody and causes a lot of issues and disruption in our society. We're already talking about uh, issuing, uh, uh, besides the, the economic um, nearly $1 trillion uh, surge that we're, that we're getting, we're looking at potentially giving people money to allow them to get through this difficult time. And I think the number that was thrown around was like $1,000. Well, that is not a lot of money. In fact, if you look at the, the, the stock market, for example, the, the Dow three minutes ago has lost more than 10,000 points. 10,000 points. Um, just a recap, investors were confident that the coronavirus in China would have just a fleeting impact. Fleeting impact. And it hit a record closing high of 29,551 on February 12th. Man, February February 12th, the world is completely different now. Nearly a month month later, the Dow is struggling just to hold 19,000 points. And right now, the Dow has lost more than 10,400 points or 35% from that record high. I mean, investors are super concerned about uh, the market. And it, it makes sense. Behaviorally, if you don't have confidence in the market, your investors aren't going to invest. But you know what? That's okay. This is the low. There will be highs. For some people in our society, this is a buying market. Or this is maybe a holding market to take advantage of the spike that we'll see out of this low. We will ebb and flow in society no matter what. We just have to have the patience to get through this, and we will. Do you think people will be more prepared next time something like this happens? Man, what a great question. I think the answer to that is unequivocally yes. Yes. It, it, it is out of the things to not be excited about. It is the one thing that I could be excited about because I push preparedness because I know what happens when you're not prepared. Look, my company and, and this whole thought process of making a company about preparedness and trying to do it the right way stems from me operating in special operations, doing hit after hit, raid after raid, and coming back home unscathed when we knew 
that the odds in some circumstances were against us. How did we make it through that? Planning and preparation. It wasn't an accident. We did so because we planned and we prepared. And so now people for the first time are realizing the compromise and then what happens when you don't plan and prepare? Where's the balance? Am I telling people to get a shipping container and bury it in their backyard? No. In fact, I've looked at that option. It's too expensive and it's just not economical. But what am I telling people to do? Stockpile guns, ammo, food, water. Yes, I said it, guns and ammo. Why? Well, because that is a, that is a resource that you're not going to have access to in the worst case scenario. But is also the resource that defends your life in the worst case scenario. Let me highlight this again. I am not planning and preparing for the best case scenario. I am planning preparing for the worst case scenario. A pandemic at this scale could potentially be the worst case, but it also could potentially be somewhere in between. So if I'm prepared for the worst case, then I'm lined out for everything in between. And that's how we should look at it. And I think that's where the benefit is in all of this stuff we're talking about. Doing more online live seminars this year. Yes, unequivocally, 100%, we will be doing that. I'm super motivated that you guys are asking about that. What are your thoughts on the after effects of COVID-19 on the economy and stocks and lifestyle? Look, I addressed it in the question before, but I think it's important to highlight this. We will recover from this. This, for many people, economically will hurt small business, corporations, individual lives. But when we come out of this, we'll be better off for it because everything will eventually return back to normal. And when it does, when it does, there will be a surge in the econ economy and the confidence of the consumer. And, you know, this is how it works. Look, we were just in a huge economic recession in 2008. We were all part of that. Most of us were part of that. How did we get through it? Well, we got through it by staying empathetic to everybody else's needs and staying in control of our lives. That's all we could do at this point. Don't you worry the panic buyers won't have trigger discipline and hurt the Second Amendment. I shouldn't have read that out loud. Um, it's true, though. Look, panic buyers, um, to me, is not what I'm worried about. What I'm worried about is people fighting for resources. And, and in fact, if you actually think about it, those people who are buying that stuff at the store that are panic buyers, at least they're buying the resource. What I'm worried about in, in the context of panic, I'm worried about the people who don't have the resources, who haven't gone to the store, who can't afford to buy what's off the shelf, and then desperately fighting to feed their family or their children. The question is, what would you do if you were starving? What would you do if you had to take care of your family? Now, are we there yet? No. But could we be there? Yes. The answer is yes. Opinions on gas versus diesel trucks for bug out vehicles, uh, vehicles, pros and cons. The huge benefit of diesel vehicles is more than likely you have a one ton axle underneath that rig if it's a diesel, which means that you have more weight or carrying capacity. If you look at my my rigs, for example, I have a 2016 Forerunner. That Forerunner is really cool. Shitty gas mileage. Um, it's all gas. If I bog it down with weight, even shittier gas mileage. But I can only carry about 1,500 pounds. That that includes the weight of the people in the vehicle. If me and George are in my vehicle, that's 500 pounds gone. And then bumpers. Extended fuel tanks, your kit, your equipment, you're already riding the line. And what is the compromise uh, with riding the line? Well, it's compromised brakes, compromised suspension, compromised safety, compromised extended range. But you take that same thing and you put it in a diesel. Now you're looking at 3,500 pounds of carrying capacity. You're looking at being able to chip or EGR delete or make more economic the gas mileage situation, situation. I get 20 plus miles per gallon in my pickup truck. And I could also carry thousands of pounds. Now, you add weight, you compromise fuel uh, uh, 
or you compromise fuel capacity, or not fuel capacity, but uh, your range and the, the miles per gallon. That's just natural and inherent to every vehicle. I have, I like the combination of both if you could afford it because I have a diesel for long range, but I also have this 1973 Land Cruiser out in my driveway. And that 1973 Land Cruiser has a 350 engine in it that's EMP proof, but also uh, runs on gas, very simple, but can get me where I need to get in tight, confined spaces. You take a full-size truck, it, you're not necessarily going to be able to do that in, in bugging out. What factors help you determine if or when you will bug out and separate from people? Man, that's a good question. Look, if I live, a good buddy of mine, Derek, Derek and Megan up in uh, California, they live in Northern California. If Derek told me if they get locked down, like a government mandated lockdown, self-quarantine, that to me, he said he's bugging out, but that to me is a go criteria to bug out if you have the opportunity. If you have family members or friends that are willing to allow you to come or you have an off-grid site, I would go rural. Now, bugging out as you understand it in the context of how we talk about it does mean bugging out and you might not have any resources. I'm not recommending that because if you displace from your home, which is your home base of operations, you have food, you have water, you have running water. You're not in compromise of that. When I would bug out is when I'm in a situation where security is compromised. Security to me is the number one priority, always has. Ever since I was a private in the infantry in ranger school, and it was beaten to my 18-year-old head, security is the number one priority, meaning you never give it up, you always think about it, and you always do it. So if I'm in, let's say I'm in a, a suburb, Let's say I'm in Livermore, California, which is a suburb right on the outskirts of San Francisco, which is uh, the metropolitan area is over 7 million people. And they say we're quarantining everybody, meaning it is a government mandate. The National Guard has been deployed. You will not be able to leave your home. Well, what are you going to be able to do? Well, nothing. You're confined to your home. Well, do you have the resources? Huh? Maybe you don't. So then what do you do for the resources? What do you do when people start fighting for resources and they're fighting the government? You're just somebody who's caught in between. That to me is criteria for me bugging out and getting and displacing from people. People inherently are the problem, right? It's not, it, it, it's not the virus. It's not, it's not all the things that we think about. It's not the disaster. It's the after effects of those things. And typically it's the people, the behavior, the psychology, that grossly affects us, uh, especially in long-term survival. Martial law, people are writing for being hungry and lack of resources. Bug out or bug in? Bug out, man. Bug out. Bug out and displace. I've already told several people, because I am set up rural, and I'm, I'm set up off the grid. I have a million acres to my rear in the back of my house. I can displace in those woods, in those mountains, even from my location here. But I am set up good. All my friends that aren't, they can come here and we can consolidate resources. Hope you're doing well. Push through the hard times. Ignore the negative and stay positive. Always, man. I, and I appreciate that. I think I think a lot of people um, uberly focus on the negative. Have I highlighted the negative even in this podcast? Yes, because I want to outline that we do deal with negative stuff. But one of the most... One of the most changing factors in my life for the, that, that I made for the benefit of my life is getting rid of negative thoughts, ideas, and people, and people. I've been through some crazy circumstances with relationships, with friends that I thought were friends, with businesses, and I have a policy. Any negativity in that relationship from that person or from that circumstance, I am cutting it off because I am not going to allow my life to be affected by one toxic human being who can't get their shit together. I'm not going to do it. In fact, I have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to this. Can it be cold? Is it cold? Yes, in a way it is. But I draw a very definitive line. You could be with us 
You could be positive or you could be negative, dramatic, toxic, and then I'm DXing your ass. I'm getting rid of you. Intro to sustainable living, gardening, livestock, water collection, and composting. 1,000%. The time is now. What we will be doing right now, starting today, is providing a lot of content and context for all the things related to homesteading and long-term survival. Because you don't have the opportunity to do it. But you're also sitting at your home digesting content and trying to learn and we need to take and harness that opportunity. In fact, I just texted my guys and said, we need to double down on content and educating people because people are glued to their phones and glued to their TVs. And it's a perfect opportunity to educate. In fact, uh, I just hooked up a water collection device that I had in my shed and pulled it outside because right now it's raining. It's sleeting right now. But I want to include um, people in the understanding of that. I actually just talked today. I have a conference call um, with a, a lady who is in our network who jars and cans, and we need to provide that education for you. EDC bag update. Price range would be much appreciated. So right now we are looking at 60 to 90 days. And I say that because It used to be 30 to 60, but our manufacturers are having difficult times like everybody else because of what's going on. Um, I I even thought about doing a small run with the guys down the street. I won't even say their name, Um, but we could do small runs to provide a solution for you guys because I know a lot of people are harping on it now because we talk about it. Um, in In the interim, I recommend you get a Patagonia Atom 8 liter which is a very small signature bag that's a fly fishing bag that you can convert into your everyday carry bag. Those things are still important. And despite me owning a business and, you know, plugging Patagonia, it's beneficial. That bag's like 30, 40 bucks. The price point on my bag will be anywhere from 100 to 150, depending on the things that are added to the bag. Like we are going to do, we are going to do a liner, um, which is a copper liner that's known as a Verity bag to be able to, to prevent from somebody scanning your phone, scanning the chip on your credit card or your phone, um, and not interrogating or taking all the information, that compromising your identity. We want that uh, in that bag. We also want a panel for soft body armor, which is also important for us because if you have that bag over your chest, it's just protecting your pump house, your chest and your heart. And we need to add every benefit we can. So thank you for your patience for that. Uh, not a question, but it'd be cool to hear you talk about in depth about this rally force. It's badass. Um, I'll answer that question. Let me first go to this one. It says, any plate carrier recommendations? The tier tactical Pico, P-I-C-O, is my go-to vest. At what point do you abandon duty, uh, military and law enforcement, to go to your family in a disaster? Ooh. So that's a very good question. Well, what point would I do it personally? When my family is at risk, I'm leaving. That's just me. I don't care what, I don't care what's going on. My family is the number one priority. And if I don't have somebody to assist or uh, to, to help my family and they're in need, if they're at risk, Life, limb, or eyesight. We, we use that terminology in the military. Military, Life, limb, or eyesight. I am going and, and uh, helping my family. What's the better versatile tourniquet of the two you sell in your store? Uh, we only sell one at our store. It's the North American Rescue Cat 7, uh, Gen 7. Um, that tourniquet is the, the best tourniquet uh, for stopping the bleed. Okay, lastly, let me talk about this uh, Porsche Rally build. Um one, I'm, I've always been a fan of Porsche. Porsche is my my favorite car. It's an iconic car. It's not a super. People don't realize it's not a super expensive car. And what I mean is like the 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 seventy eight or eighty to eighty nine Porsche nine eleven is the car I'm speaking of. There are variants of this car that are super expensive. The GT two, the GT three, the list goes on. But I'm not really a fan of any of those cars. Um, my favorite car is the Porsche nine eleven. Um, SC, which is Super Carrera, and 
it's an iconic car for me because it's a car that I always dreamed of having as a child, but could never afford. Now, I mean, they're not super expensive cars. They're, they're anywhere from twenty, thirty, maybe forty thousand dollars, depending on the model uh, and condition that you get. But these cars were my favorite cars growing up. When I was in the military, I've been to a lot of driving schools. I've been to BSR. I went to Blackwater Instructor Driving Court or Driving School. Uh, one of my favorite courses that I went to was the uh, Team O'Neill Rally Race Car School. I went to that on active duty and also went to it as a government contractor, and I kind of caught the rally bug. If you didn't know this about me, I'm huge into off-road everything. I mean, I, I've always been into off-road driving. I've had Subarus. Um, I've had uh, rally-style cars growing up. Um, I've had so many cars, it's ridiculous. But Porsche Rally is really cool. Well, this Porsche 911 is a 1980 Porsche 911 SC Super Carrera Targa. Now, the Targa, the difference between the coupe and the Targa is the Targa model came with a Targa top where you could remove the top, similar to what a T-top is in the United States. Um, you remove that top, and it has a roll bar, essentially, that protects you in rollover crashes. Uh, it's it's a, a, a an addition or line of that Porsche. That Porsche Targa, that 1980, had 62,000 original miles. We took that vehicle, I took that vehicle, and I decided I'm going to turn it into a Porsche rally car. So what are some things that make it a rally car? Well, one, you have to change out the suspension and the tires. The suspension to... To fit the tires I want, I have to lift it up three to four inches. So I look at Elephant Racing, which makes the most robust and comprehensive rally suspension setup. I mean, this thing is a, it's, it, it, they make rally racing suspension for professional cars. So we got that system. Uh, it's slow uh, to ship. So we're waiting on it, but I'm going to install that. And then I'm going to put um, the original stock tires that are, or stock wheels that are on it. And then put Falcon AT3Ws on the rig. Um, I want, you know, a lot of tread, but I also want it to be good on-road as well as off-road. Um, in addition to that, I got a quad light, quad light pod from TRE Motorsports, which allows me to see. Now, it's one, is this thing going to be um, raced in professional uh, rally race races? No, it's not. But I intend to do endurance races. I intend to do a lot of content, especially as it relates to overlanding. And I intend to focus my attention on bug out. Now, do, is it realistic that people are going to buy Porsches and convert them? No. But you might look at your own car and go, huh, what are some things that I could do to my own vehicle to make it rally capable? The idea of taking a car and making it off-road capable appeals to me. Because not everybody can afford a SUV or a style vehicle or a truck. Um, but car, people have cars. Now, does it matter all-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive? No, not really. In fact, if you know what a pre-runner is, pre-runners are rear-wheel drive vehicles. When I went to Team O'Neill's, we did rear-wheel drive, all-wheel drive, four-wheel drive, and front-wheel drive. All of those different vehicles have different characteristics and driving them in the snow in the mud, in the dirt, and off-road. So the idea is maybe I'll conceptualize and build this thing out and then encourage you to look at your own setup and go, huh, maybe I need better lights on my rig because I do a lot of off-road driving in my car. Or maybe I need to lift the suspension instead of slamming the suspension and look at bigger tires. Um, because when you bug out and you want to go from an urban situation to a rural situation, the idea is you're displacing from people. And most of, most of the time, displacing means you're off-road. You're not on-road. You're not in more concrete. In fact, you need the clearance to hop the curbs to get off-road, but you also need the clearance in order to be able to travel off-road. A lot of people um, think that you need this high-speed rig in order to travel off-road uh, overland. You don't. You don't at all. I've seen Toyota Camrys and Corollas in the middle of Afghanistan in the harshest terrain. You don't have to do that. I'm excited about the Porsche build. I'm going to do more videos on it and just tune you guys in because I'm super excited. 
I also owe you guys a YouTube walk around on my truck. The Go Rig Challenge, you know, made this truck kind of famous in a way. Joe Rogan mentioned it on his podcast, which is kind of cool. But that my 2008 Dodge Ram, I just added a few things. I added a Summit AT Overland Summit camper, which is a camping shell that goes on the back of the truck bed, uh, allows you to set up your camping situation in 10 seconds by just lifting up on it. Uh, I put a decked system in the back, which is a drawer system. Um, I'm going to access all my stuff in that space. Uh, I'm going to live out of that space when we do our next Overland Challenge. And it's super cool. Um, also, I added KC Highlights lights. You know, just a, a plug for KC Highlights. If you use survival10 on kchighlights.com, you guys could save 10%. But KC Highlights is a family-owned business. I've worked with corporations in the lighting space. Not a great uh, experience. Dealing with lawyers, dealing with drama, with marketing departments. I like KC Highlights because they're a small business. We work together very well. And, and, they, and they, they make the best lights in the, in the business for overlanding. Um, if you look at the comparison between overlanding and Baja racing and everything else, yeah, you're going to have the BJ Baldwins. Those are good dudes doing their own thing. But I like the overland community uh, and big fan of KC Highlights. I just added the pod that goes on the, the bumper, and I'm at, adding the Pro Pod, and I think it's the S Pro Pod, uh, on the top of the windshield. What else am I going to do? I'm going to airbag the rear suspension on the leaf springs to allow it to get a little bit better balanced. Also, uh, balancing my camping situation. I'm going to add a fridge, a Snowmaster fridge. I'm going to add a cooking setup, uh, which I already ordered. I'm going to add a whole bunch of things that's going to be living out of that rig possible. And I'm looking forward to you guys uh, uh, paying attention to that. I owe you guys a YouTube video and more content. I appreciate you guys tuning in this podcast. It's just me taking the opportunity to shoot the shit and talk to you guys about everything in preparedness. Um, PhilCraftSurvival.com, guys. If you guys need anything from us, you can DM us at info or email us at info at PhilCraftSurvival.com or hit me up on my personal Mike.A.Glover. Thanks, guys. Until next time, stay alert, stay alive.